0: Take your Bibles, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Last week, we found ourselves going through 10 things you need to know about Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us about Jesus. He's going long in the paint about Jesus, and he wants us to understand who Jesus is because Jesus changes everything. Jesus saves. Jesus is real. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's how we focus our church here so that everybody would know who Jesus is, and that is our intention because the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I guess the main thing is to not get distracted one way or the other. Have you found anybody, maybe even yourself in the last two years or two decades, get distracted by anything? Anybody been distracted about some real, real important things? Not the most important things, but some important things. We get distracted. And here's Paul about to die. Here's Paul in a situation, in a, in a, in a government that's corrupt and you can't trust them. And he's not talking about the government. Matter of fact, there's this one scene in the book of Acts. I'll just reference it quickly. Paul's not part of that scene But in that scene, they actually outlaw the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's in Acts chapter four, they say no more preaching Jesus. And so you know what the church does? They pray, you know what they pray for? Lord, make us more bold in these dark times. You know what they don't pray for? The government. They they don't pray that the government would change. Lord, just soften the government's heart, just keep it legal, just change the the school board, change the president, they don't pray any of that. You know what they say? Okay, it's tough. So Lord, make us tougher, make us bright. Because sometimes we want things to change and things to get better, and they might not always get better, but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Paul's writing this letter. It's a polemic letter. It's an argumentative letter. He's arguing for a truth because, like your car, when you let go of the steering wheel, how many of you guys have an older car like mine? You let go of the steering wheel, it veers off to one side. It's like, oh, i got to get in alignment. You know, it it veers. you got to stay. And the church has a proclivity to drift into one of two ditches. Okay, it can drift to the right side. It can get too conservative, the church can get too legalistic, too into their policies and too into their programs and too into themselves. You ever seen a church this way? Man, we're so into the church. It's all the church, church, church. And, the, and Jesus says, hey, I'm the head of the church. Oh no, we don't need you. We got it all figured out, man. We got a policy. We got it all, we got, man, we got a board. We got, we got pastors. We got, a, we got a whole, we got systems. We are good to go. And churches can get too legalistic and too weird, too conservative. And you need to get adjusted back to the middle where Jesus is the, is the pastor. Peter says that the chief shepherd will appear one day. Chief means senior, shepherd means pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor. A lot of churches moved away from using that title, senior pastor, years and years ago. We don't use that term senior pastor because, man, we, I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor. I'm just a shepherd. I'm just a servant. And so we wanna make sure we stay on the ditch. But there's, churches don't just necessarily get too legalistic on the right side. Some churches move too far into the left side. They get into the liberal side. They get into the carnal side. They get into the worldly side. And they begin to teach all doctrines and all roads lead to heaven and all dogs go to heaven. They teach all these crazy ideas. All dogs do go to heaven, by the way. But they teach all these other ideas. And they begin to, you know, just, I don't know, I've told this story so many times that I knew a guy one time who took a paperclip and he actually paperclipped Paul's writings and Peter's writings together so he wouldn't accidentally ever read them. And I was like, bro, you need all the Bible to, you need a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. You can't be just picking and choosing. In Paul here, points our direction and our focus back to Jesus. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles open, go to chapter two with me. And we're gonna, I just want you to read verse four and verse eight in chapter two. It's not gonna be on the screen, but, but this is what it says. Paul says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. That's verse four. Paul says, I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying, lest you be deceived with persuasive words. There's deceivers out there with persuasive words trying to get you off track. It could even be the, the committee in your head. Look at verse 8 in, in chapter 2. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Stop right there and I disappear again. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae saying, Guys, there's, there's some crazy ideas out there. And it's not just in the world, it also can be in the church. This is where we need to have our discernment up. This is where we need to have our knower connected to the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit. And you walk into a church. <laughs> You ever, you just walk in the, Holy Spirit and you just realize, this, I don't know, something's weird here. You ever do that before? In the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 16, maybe, maybe 18. Uh, Paul is in Ephesus and he meets a couple guys, about 12 of them. And they start having Bible study. And Paul looks at him, he's like, <laughs> and he starts, and he, something's different about these cats. And he says, do you guys, do you guys have the Holy Spirit? And they said, we never heard of them. And Paul says, What? What do you, what, 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 what do you, what, how did you get where you're at then? He said, oh, we're here through the teaching of John, the baptism of repentance, the prepare the way, man, the Messiah is coming. They didn't know the rest of the story. And Paul's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Let me go ahead and point you to Jesus. And he connects the dots and lays hands on them and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. You got to have discernment in a church. Is this church going to lead you to Jesus? Or is this church going to lead you to some other sort of slick, hip and cool club and outside of fellowship with God? Obviously, we need our discerners up with the ways of the world, man. The world is producing crazy truths, wacky ideas, bad theology, and Paul here writes this letter to the church at Colossae, and he says, "Guys, it's it's truly all about Jesus. If you want to know what the Book of Colossians is all about, it's about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him." And we'd looked at that 10 things about Jesus Christ. We had three on the table. We didn't really extract too much of. Look at verse 17. We'll start with this one. And It says, and he, that's Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things consist. We put this together that Jesus holds all things together. In him, all things consist. And in the Greek, all means All. He's before, and I just want you guys, I'm gonna try and connect a dot and maybe jump a bridge here and and build something for you. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. These are two separate realities that most of us would agree with, and here's the two points I want you guys to understand. He's before all things. Most people don't have a problem with this, that Jesus Christ made everything, that he's before all things, all the big things, like he's out there, he's big, he's big, but here's where the disconnect comes. He's also in all things. As a matter of fact, non-believers, agnostics, atheists, thinkers and seekers would say, oh, I totally believe there's a God, because if you have ever looked at everything and deduced it came from nothing, you need to get your head checked. That's funnier than you guys think. If you've looked at everything and deduced it came from nothing, you need to get your head checked. There's so much out there, and you would even be right to humble yourself. Yeah, somebody made everything. There's no way that nobody made something. You know what I'm talking about? And yet here's the disconnect. We think that God is before all things. Not a problem. But do we really understand that Jesus is supreme in all things. Everything in your life, your singleness, your marriage, your finances, your health, your wellness, your relationships. He created everything, that's easy, but he's also creating everything in your life right now. here's the big idea before I unpack this. Jesus holds all things together. The Bible says in verse 17, he holds it all together. We studied that last week, this atomic understanding of Jesus holding it together. And I can give him that, but really it's your marriage, it's the other things. If Jesus isn't allowed to hold those things together, they are going to spin out of control. And if your life is shaky right now, if there's inconsistency or there's fear or there's stress or there's things going on, it's because of your alignment with Jesus. You need more Jesus. More Jesus in your, in your relationships, more Jesus in your parenting, more Jesus in your entertainment, more Jesus in everything you do because not only is he before all things, he's in all things. Now, how big is our God? He's big, right? I used the illustration last week of an of a apple seed and a basketball and the distance between them being 30 yards and the basketball being the sun and the earth being an apple seed. Let me give a different illustration. If this paper were to illustrate the distance between the earth and the sun, this would be 96 million miles, okay, in, in, in thickness. Okay, this is cardstock, by the way, so I'm cheating. It usually works with regular paper. But imagine this is 96 million miles. So from earth to the sun, it's 96 million miles. If you were going to go to the next nearest star, which is 24 trillion miles away, okay, 96. Million, 24 trillion, it wouldn't just be one piece of paper, it would be 31 feet of paper. Each piece representing 96 million for a total of 24 trillion. So, 31 feet of paper, I don't know, a little bit higher than, than this ceiling, maybe in the back there. Stacks of paper, that represents just the nearest star, the nearest neighbor. And there's like three or four neighbors within our four year light year radius. And if you go to six years light year, there's a couple more stars that show up. And it's a big universe, isn't it? Now, you guys know the difference between a million and a trillion, right? Raise your hand. How many of you guys want a million dollars? How many of you guys want a trillion dollars, you know? Second service gets a trillion dollars. Let me just <clears throat> help you understand this. A million seconds ago is 11 days. Okay, just a million seconds ago, 11 days. A billion seconds ago, 32 years. And a trillion seconds ago is 32,000 years ago. So we're talking exponential difference in billion and trillion and, and, and million. And, and this is how big, it's huge. It's big and God did that on purpose. And I never, oh, I never wanna process my pain or my problems without looking at the God that I have, a very big God. As a matter of fact, back to Acts chapter four where the government shut down Jesus, it was illegal. And the first thing they prayed, they said, Lord, you're the God of heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. They reminded themselves of how big their God was. He's so big. What are we tripping about? You trip? Don't raise your hand. But do you freak out? I mean, I mean you, you get, have you seen the summer traffic? It's still here. What's going on? I mean, I lost my salvation like four times this week, okay, driving behind slow people. And it was so bad. I mean, this is, and, and your problems, it's like, this is not, I have to be, this is so, and the Lord's like, hey, I'm the God of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in it. Let me just be, please understand. He's so big and we would all say, yeah, God's huge. And then we're going to lose our temper. We're going to lose our cool. We're going to lose our peace. over the smallest thing. God is into everything, but he's also into the smallest thing. Each and every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're incredible. You know, you have a, a circulatory system that is navigated and operated through your heart. Your heart's a big muscle and it pumps about 100,000 pumps a day. Okay. And it pumps about, about I, I got this stuff right now because I'm not a scientist. It, it pumps about a million barrels of blood in your lifetime. And it pumps through this circulatory system that's comprised of veins and arteries and capillaries. You know, if we took your, your veins and arteries and ca- capillaries, the whole blood circulatory system, just in one person and stretched it out because it's all just veins and highways. And if we stretched it out, it would go from end to end for 100,000 miles. One person. Okay, let me just illustrate that. That means if we took your blood vessels, capillaries and veins, and stretched them out, it would go around the earth once, twice, three times, and four times, just one of you. And it's the blood. And the blood, you know know what's in blood, right? neither do I. It's totally gross. Just kidding. (laughs) Within the blood is your oxygen and the nutrients and all the things that keep you alive. And and God made it that way. It's like so sophisticated and so intense in your heart. Go ahead and make a fist. Everyone make a fist right now. That's how big your heart is. Okay, your heart just beats. 100,000 times a minute. Now, if you're a beaver fan, it's 200 times a thousand minutes. minute, okay? <laughs> and then it just stops. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> beavers, you know? God made it. Now, here's my point is, Paul, Paul's in prison. Read verse 17 with me, and he says this, and he is before all things, woo and in him all things consist. a big point you can read it so quickly paul's not done he's going to continue to try and find different ways to teach the same thing this is what a a parent would do or a coach would do or a business leader would do or some smart person would do i'm just gonna i've got to teach you this once you see this Paul had such confidence and such faith that when he knew he was going to die, he said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I might finish my race with joy, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple hours later, some other people said, Paul, I don't think it's gonna go well for you. I think you're gonna die. He said, stop making me cry. I'm not even sad about it. What? When we get so distracted, we get so confused. And again, He's before all things. He's big. He understands everything, but he's also the God of intimacy. He's the God that will meet you at three in the morning when you get the news you didn't want and say, hey, Jesus, will you speak to me? He said, yeah. Colleen's story is incredible. Pushes a button. And it's the story of God speaking to David in a time of difficult loss. And God's speaking to David powerfully. David, your baby's in heaven, okay? You're gonna see him. Not now, but one day. So with that in mind, fire up the barbecue. Have you guys read 2 Samuel? Have you read this? Fire up the barbecue. That's what he says. And actually his, his friends come in and they got this kind of weird sour look on their face. They're looking at David like, who wants to tell him? And David can see, he's like, hey, y'all got bad news for me, don't you? And they're like, yeah, it's bad news. And David literally says, I'm hungry, fire up the barbecue, get my big shaver. It's time to get back to work. And they're confused. His friend's like, just, just like that? you just gonna write back? He's like, yeah, I prayed. I prayed, I didn't know what God was gonna do. I asked him to do what I wanted to do. I didn't know what he was gonna do and he didn't do what I wanted to do. You know what? Cause he's God and it's okay. I trust him. David was a man for God's own heart. We wonder how that could be. David was, he's kind of a, he had some bad days. He had some bad days. He did some things that were silly. But David, David had a heart to believe God no matter what. He would pen uh, pen, Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? He leads me and guides me, makes me lay down when I don't want to lay down, gives me green patches when I'm hungry, he takes care of me. This is the God that is both big and the God of intimacy. And that's kind of the big idea. I'm not worried about the end of the world. I'm not worried about the, about the beginning of the world. My worries are about my world, aren't they? Which just about your world, I mean, all the stuff that's going on. Include the Lord in those things. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, I believe it is, says God is a rewarder of those who believe he is, okay? Big God, oh yeah, I believe he is. And those who diligently seek after him. That's a trip right there, folks. That's two, that's two separate responses. Most logical, ontological, responsive people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I believe there's, there's God. Well, are you seeking him in everything? Because he only rewards those who diligently seek him. Those who bring him into their marriage, those who bring him into their singleness, those who bring him into their problems, those who bring him into their depression, those who bring him into their battles. It was so cool. I got to teach at Real Life, uh, the college Bible study in Corvallis on Tuesday. And uh, the Lord just blessed that time. It was such a sweet sweet time with all those college kids. And at the end of the service, I was praying for kids. And one, two, three, four, five, all these college kids come up and ask for prayer. And they all prayed and they all opened up and confessed the the stuff that they were dealing with in their life. And they all asked, hey, would you pray for me, Pastor Luke? I got this, this issue right here and I'm dealing with this issue. And it was so fun with confidence to say, let's pray about that. Let's make that the most important thing right now. Let's bring Jesus right into that battle. Let's bring him right into this situation of depression, of loneliness, of addiction, of abuse, all these things that are happening. Let's bring Jesus here. And so often we stand up at a service and get saved or raise our hand and get saved at the beginning. Listen, Jesus isn't the starting point and that's it. Okay, he's the only point. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw one more verse at you guys. This is out of chapter two. He says in verse six, he says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's a memory verse right there. Paul would say, as you receive Christ, that's the big beginning, walk in him. Okay, that's the middle and the ending every single day. We tend to compartmentalize Jesus. You know, I got some Jesus on Sunday and some Jesus in my, my devos and, you know. When I hit Highway 101 though, I'm a hired contractor. You know? And I wanna grow in this, don't you wanna grow in this? Paul was crazy. Everywhere he would go, in jail, out of jail, free, making tents, visiting people, friends, relatives, enemies, didn't matter. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God's a rewarder of those who believe he is and those who diligently seek after him. Guys, Jesus is in everything. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. This was number nine of our 10 last week. Jesus is the head of the church. We talked about that. He's the preeminent one kind of like headwaters of a, of a river. You ever been to a river and the headwaters are there where it gets established and determines how the river goes. A couple weeks ago for my wife's birthday, we went and floated the McKenzie River outside of Eugene. You ever done this before? And, and we, we grew up in, in uh, Ashland, so we floated the Rogue River a lot and kind of into rafting. And I remember we had this guide who was instructing us and, and he was giving us all these like wetsuits and booties and like splash guards. And I was like... Phew dude, it's August still, bro. Like, what's your problem? You a baby, you know? And, and I remember before we got in the water, he's like, okay, you might want to put your, your stuff on now. And I had a, you know, tank top on and flip-flops. And I was like, should I put it on? He's like, yeah, you, you might want to put it on. Here's the deal. I didn't realize that the headwaters of the Mackenzie River are 37 degrees, okay? 37 degrees. So you get in the water and it like splashes you and you get hypothermia all over your arms and, you know, you're just frozen. It's cold. It was, nobody's going swimming. It was, you know, mild suffering. It was kind of, you know, kind of crazy. And, and the reality is, is that water was determined its temperature by the headwaters. The headwaters determined how cold it is. The next day it was cool. We got up and we uh, walked to the blue pool, which is where the headwaters are. And the water just comes up out of the ground. And it's been underground through underwater channels for 10 years. It's been traveling through, staying cool. And then it comes up and then it goes down the Mackenzie River. It's a trip. It's crazy. I don't know why I'm saying all that. But anyways, Jesus says of himself, Paul says, he's the head. He determines how the church goes. And so you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, do what he says, go where he says, be who he says. And when we do this, we find ourselves the body walking together. Matter of fact, when my body gets all confused and and cancer develops or an illness develops or it stops working together, it's because it's sick. But when the body is flowing together with the blood and connected to the head, when we're healthy, and that's how the church is to be, connected to Jesus Christ, letting his blood connect us together. Look at verse 18 again. It says, he is the head of the body, the church, who, speaking of him again, not the church, but who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. He's the firstborn from the dead. I wanna unpack this quickly, what this literally means. This means that Jesus Christ is the first person to be resurrected from the dead, listen, and to stay alive. Because Jesus rose a couple different people in the gospels from the dead. They resurrected Lazarus and and the widow's son and some other people were raised from the dead in the Bible, And yet all those people, they died again. Jesus Christ is the first person to die, rise from the dead. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the first one to rise from the dead and to stay alive. That's why he gets to be preeminent. That's why he's the boss. Some people argue and struggle. Why is Jesus going to be the boss? Because he died and he got back up from the grave because he's still alive. Anybody who does that, they get the keys. They get to drive. They get to choose where we're having dinner. They get to be in control. It used to be able on Facebook to put your religious preference and kind of fill in the blanks. I'm not sure how it works anymore, but on mine, many, many years ago when I got my Facebook account, religious preference, I just typed in, Jesus died and rose from the dead. Figure it out. Like, what are you, I don't know, what, what are you, what, who are you going with? You know, like, oh, I have a rotary member. Like, what? You know, like, I, you know I recycle, or I, you know, I believe in reincarnation. So I, people believe in reincarnation, that they're going to live their life now and then die and then come back in the next life as something different based on how they live this life, re- reincarnation. If that were true, you would come back in the next life as a stick, okay? Every one of us would be a stick, like based on how you lived and all the things you did nobody knew about, like, oh, you're coming back. Not just a normal stick too, a stick underwater, like you're going to be a stick underwater, not good for you. And people say, I believe in reincarnation. Like, That's horrible. That's horrible. Man, I believe in the guy that died, murdered brutally. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that when the Messiah would die, you wouldn't be able to recognize him as a man or beast. You would like, I don't even know, man. That guy's a hamburger. He's shredded. I don't even know if that's, is that a person? Is that a, you wouldn't be able to know who he's so mangled if you saw Mel Gibson's passion of the Christ. Jesus was. you don't come back from that. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ came back from that all bandaged up, Neosporin everywhere, like, man, that was crazy, you know, and walking around. Like, I mean, that would even be like a story somebody would tell, but he didn't come back that way. He came back victorious, walking through walls, you know, grabbing people's lunches and eating them. Like, give me that fish, you know, and he's in charge. He's in charge. He is preeminent over the church. And most of us get this. Here's the deal. Again, Paul's writing this to the church at Colossians. They were confused. Some of them thought it was more legalism and more rules and more stuff and more committees and more policies and more things. And, and then there's a temptation also, just kind of a oh, little less Jesus, a little more world. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Ah, ah, ah. To live as Christ, to die as Cain, it's all Jesus. And again, the temptation, yeah, I know it's all Jesus, big, big Jesus, big, you know, big God. You're like, no, he's small. He's right there. He's everywhere. He's right in the middle. He's in your, he's right with you. He's both. Paul argues with us. He's the firstborn from the dead. Why is he the boss? Look at verse 19. For it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That word fullness literally implied here means that the fullness of God. Jesus was fully God. And it made the father happy that he would send his son down as a baby to be born from a virgin in a marginalized society in poverty 2000 years ago and to rise up and to be Jesus who never sinned and laid his life down as a sacrifice for sin. And the father said, yep, this is my son in whom I am well, it pleased the father. When I see this verse, I think it's, I don't know, verse 19 or something. When it says, for it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That word dwell there is the opposite of a temporary dwelling in the Greek language. It literally means permanent. It pleased the father. This is my son. Which reminds me of Matthew 17. Matthew 17 is the transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. And he's transfigured. He's changed into his heavenly scene where he's he's seen in his transfigured body. And Peter, James, and John are freaking out. And you guys know that in that moment, two guys show up. Who are the two guys? Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah converse with him. Moses representing the law. This is what God gave to the children of Israel. Here's how you relate to God. Here's the law. This is how you guys can do it. As long as you guys don't break the law, you'll be fine. How's everyone doing on that? You guys doing okay? There's only 613 of them, a condensed version of 10. We break them all. We break them all. So here's Moses. Moses can't get us into heaven. And then so Elijah shows up at the mountain of transfiguration as well. Elijah's the prophet. He's the word of God. He's the prophet. This is God's heart. This is God's word. This is what to do. And so you got the law and the prophets. And guess what you can't be saved by? The law or the prophets. Did you know you can't be saved by God's word? Check this out. In Matthew 17, Luke records it in Luke 9. And in Luke 9, same same story. Luke gives us a little more insight. The Bible says that they're having this, this... conversation. And Elijah and Moses are talking with Jesus. You know what the conversation that they're having about? It says that they're talking to Jesus about his decease. The Greek word there is exodus. They're talking about what Jesus is about to do, which is to die, to pay for the sins of the world, to do what the law and the prophets and the word of God cannot do, to do what the law and the prophets and the word of God are all pointing to, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is, a, Bible students lean into this. They're talking, and it says they're talking about what Jesus was sent to do. It's almost as if Moses is like, dude, I did my best. I brought the light, I, you know? And, and Jesus is like, yeah, I know. It was, it was a precursor. It was pointing people to me. And Elijah said, man, I did my best. And I tried to lead the children of Israel. I gave them the law and I gave them the prophets and I gave them the, the word of God. And he said, I know. And this as if they're all saying, it's all Jesus. Now, right at that moment, is when Peter wakes up from his sleep. And the Bible says he wakes up from his sleep and not knowing what to say says, I'm gonna say that again. Husbands, listen, please. Not knowing what to say, he said, husbands, when you don't know what to say, don't say nothing. (laughs) Zip it. Shut it. Amen, somebody. Man, oh man. The Bible says, Peter, not knowing what to say, said, and then he says this. He says, hey, it's good for us to be here. This is legit. Let's build some tabernacles. Let's set up some, some, some monuments here. And right then, the father comes in and interrupts Peter and says, hey, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You listen to him. It's not about the law or the prophets or about what Peter wanted to add to the equation and the situation. See, we're all tempted to, approach God on various forms and various platforms and various systems and various efforts and the father says you know what I'm most pleased about okay when you give all attention to Jesus Christ when you look at him When you look at him, verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Why? Why were they talking about his decease? Why is it all about Jesus? Look at verse 20. And by him, Paul continues to talk, and by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. He tells us now why those guys were talking to Jesus because he has reconciled all things to himself. That word reconciles is very important. It literally means to bring things back into harmony. If you are a banker and you have numbers and ledgers and, and accounts, the idea is that those ledgers and numbers and accounts would be reconciled, that they would all match, that the outflow and income, everything would just... Oh, And if you're kind of crazy and it's a penny or 25 cents off, you're like, ah, you gotta redo it all. And It's not perfect. And if something's reconciled at all, ah. And the Bible says here that through Jesus Christ, and I'll read it to you again in verse 20, by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Listen, having made peace through the blood of his cross. (laughs) Guys, this isn't, just for them, it wasn't just once. The reconciliation between God and man, listen, it gets better than that, and between man and man has been paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, and now God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm, I'm gonna read it to you, actually. It's worth reading. This is Second Corinthians chapter 5. somewhere in here it says therefore verse 17 if anyone is in christ he's a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new now all things are of god who has reconciled us to himself through jesus christ and has listen given to us the ministry of reconciliation that in that is that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. He's brought everything back together. That which was separated, that which was mangled, that's what was destroyed through sin. And he did it through the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the big idea. You might have problems horizontally. You might have issues and situations The main situation, the most important situation that God has right now is between you and him. Your finances, your health. Let me say something a little offensive. God's not into your health, your finances, our virus, all these things as much as you are. He's just not into them as much. It's not as concerning. You know the biggest thing that concerns him is your relationship with him vertically. That's why Christ died on the cross. That's why Jesus suffered. And through him, we have been reconciled. It says in verse 21, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. It goes even better. Not just has there been peace made, but you who are alienated and enemies, now we have been changed. That word alienated literally means that you're not in fellowship with. You ever been alienated from a friend or from a son or from, some, from somebody like that? You're just not in fellowship with them. Okay, there's a difference between being alienated from somebody and being an enemy of somebody, right? You might not be like best friends with somebody anymore. And we would even say, actually, some secular people, maybe you're in this group right here. You say, I'm not not mad at God. You know, I I believe in God. I don't have a problem with God. You you might even say, God's fine. I'm just not part of his deal, not part of what's going on. And you might be okay with being alienated, not in fellowship with God. But did you know it's a whole different story to not have a friendship with somebody and then to realize that they're not at peace with you? Some people actually in my days of ministry say, I have no problem with God, I'm I'm at peace with God. And I always say, really, is he at peace with you though? You might have no problem with him, but the Bible says that you are an enemy of God unless you've been reconciled to him. The Bible says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble says that we were alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Three things Paul mentions here in verse 22. He says, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Guys, these are big words that the Colossians were wrestling with, holy, blameless, and above reproach. How many of you guys look at yourself that way in the mirror? Maybe you go to a job interview, they say, tell us your unique skill set." Well, I'm holy, blameless, and above reproach. And the interviewer would be like, yeah, and you're jobless and probably homeless too. Like, you know, next. We don't necessarily think of ourselves as holy, blameless, and above reproach. And yet the Lord has said that this is who we are through the blood of his flesh, through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he said seven things. He suffered for our sins. First thing he said was, Father, forgive them for their sins. They know not what they do. Okay, that was the main reason that he was on the cross, asking for forgiveness, asking that we would be set free. The second thing out of Jesus' mouth was, Father, or not Father, but to the man on the right of him, he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Third thing he said was to John, he said, John, this is your mom, take care of her. He was talking and taking care of family matters. Fourth thing he said was, Eloi, Eloi, Lamasa sabachthani," My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth thing, identifying with humanity, he said, I thirst. He was suffering. And the sixth thing he said was, Te telestai. It's finished. He had just prayed, Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they do. And the sixth thing out of his mouth was, It's finished. We did it! During that time of suffering, Eloi, Eloi, Lamasa, Bakhtanai, and I thirst, during that time, the sky darkened, the earth quaked, the veil tore, and the graves were opened, all demonstrating that what Jesus had done satisfied the righteousness of God and forgiveness of sins had been paid for. Listen, in the body of his flesh, the blood of our Savior. This is crazy. 2,000 years ago, the, the, the scales were teared out. It was all paid for. The work was done. And now you and I can be blameless above reproach and holy. Verses 23 and 24, to observe a little bit of time, I'm just gonna touch him and we're gonna end the service today. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, Grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard before, which was preached to every creature under heaven. I, which, which I, Paul, became a minister. First thing he says here is he talks about Christ. He says, you know what? All this only counts, all this only works, all this only counts to your account if you continue steadfast and immovable in the faith and in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard me, Pastor Luke Frechette say, I believe once saved, always saved. Anybody ever heard me say that? Okay, two people, good, good. <laughs> I had a guy leave our church a couple, couple years ago. He left our church. I said that. He said, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I said, what, what part strikes you? He said, well, I just don't think that, that that's what the scriptures teach. I don't think that you can get saved and just guarantee you're gonna stay saved because you got saved. I think you need to, need to work to stay saved. And I said, well, that kind of depends on how you got saved. If you saved yourself, then yeah, you better work to stay saved. But if the Holy Spirit saved you, If you were born again of the spirit, not of the flesh, but the Holy Spirit born you again, you were born of the spirit. The only way to then be unborn of the spirit would be to be aborted by the spirit. And I said, the spirit's pro-life, man. He's not gonna abort anybody. And yet this verse comes along. And Paul says, all this is happening. All this is going on. It's Christ. You're blameless. You're holy. Man, you're, you're, you're above reproach. What's he say? Let's read it. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, how do you stay saved? You believe that you're still saved. Do you work to stay saved? Jesus said in John chapter 6, they asked him point blank, What must we do to do the works of God? <clears throat> Jesus said, I'm so glad you asked. John 6 29. This is the work of God. That's you. Starts with B, rhymes with E leave. <laughs> This is the crazy thing, guys. This is the work of God that you believe on him who he sent. This is to a group of Pharisees, a group of workers, a group of doers, a group of can-dos, a group of people who had their sin sniffers out and their, their rulers and making sure of them, you staying saved, you staying saved, you know, and they'd measure each other's curly cues, and you staying saved, you staying saved. Are you saved? Let measure, you know. And they asked Jesus, how do we stay safe? What's the work? He's like, the work is to believe. The greatest work you'll ever do is to, not what you can do, but to believe in what he's done. Faith, we are saved by faith and not of works lest anyone should boast. It's not what you do, but it, it is the way you look at what he's done. And you must stay, you must, Christian, stay steadfast and immovable and continue in your belief of what Jesus has done. How do you do that? Steadfast, immovable, grounded. These all to me speak of soil and roots and your soil and roots are strengthened through the word of God. It's your faith system. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the more you learn about God, the more you are into God, the more you receive from God, the more you keep your eyes on God, the stronger your root system and you will be grounded and steadfast and immovable. That is the continuation of your faith. You can raise your hand at a Billy Graham crusade. You can stand up. You can get baptized once and for all. And you can make a declaration for Jesus Christ and be saved. But you must continue in your faith. You have to continue in your faith. If you do not continue in your faith, I then wonder, was your faith actually real in the first place or was it put in something lesser? Was it put in a moment? Was it put in an event? Was it put in an experience? I don't have the, the, the pedigree. I don't have the pay grade. I don't have the lens and the goggles to be able to see your heart and soul and to know if you're saved or I'm saved. You probably all think I'm saved, don't you? Please say yes. I think I'm saved too. You know, like if someone's in the back, like, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> don't know if i'm saved you you really don't you can see the fruit you can see the fruit and the evidence Uh, colin sees the fruit but the reality is i have to stay continued steadfast grounded and immovable i'm glad this verse is there because i like to preach the grace of jesus christ and i'll just throw it out buckets just buckets just everywhere okay but it's grace and starts with t rhymes with ruth truth it's grace and truth. Okay, you have, you have to, I'm gonna read this word here because it, it, what it means, it literally means a continuance of what you believe. Your faith is to have action behind it. It means persistent action. Verse 23, if, you, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Let's just t- talk about the word for a second and we're done in, in just a couple minutes. Persistent action. Your faith will be measured. It will be evidenced by fruit. This is really fun, by the way, because sometimes we think that we need to be busier and do more and give more and sweat more and sacrifice more. And hey, listen to the Lord. He'll, he'll tell you what to do. But the real thing that the Lord is looking for you is faith, okay, that produces fruit. Fruit is love. It's joy. It's peace. Patience. It's kindness. It's gentleness. It's meekness. It's self-control. It's Godliness. Isn't it awesome that the Lord says, you are saved freely by grace. Welcome to the team. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the family. Come on in. And now you're, now you're my offspring. What do we do now? Now you grow. Now you grow. And because you're my kids, you're going to, you're going to eventually grow to be just like me. I got three kids. I see one in the back. One's at home with a broken arm. One's upstairs. And my, and my three kids, they all resemble their mom and dad just a little bit. And as they grow, as a matter of fact, the other day, this was there's my dad right there, and and I was I was doing something. I was helping Nemo brush his teeth because his, his arms are broken, and I was I was right next to the mirror, and I was and I I put the toothbrush and I looked in the mirror, and you know who I saw? Joe Fersht. Joe Fersht, and I was like, "Whoa, shoot! There's my dad! Ah, you know, and good thing he's good looking, you know." This is good news, but Paul is he's putting it out there. Guys, I wanna I've got it highlighted here in in the middle of verse twenty three. It says if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away, listen, from the hope of the gospel which you heard. You have to move away from the hope of the gospel you heard on purpose. You have to hear something else. You have to be interested in something else. You have to move away. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't change. It can't be reduced. It can't fall apart. It won't fail. It will work. But unless you are standing and receiving from it and you move away from it and find your hope in some other thing, some other person, some other philosophy, even if it's the philosophy and thing that comes from your own mind, you will find yourself leaving the hope and the faith that comes in Jesus Christ. I'm, again, gonna close on this because I'm glad this verse is here because I don't want to be duped. I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to stand up. I don't want to get saved and think I'm hunky-dory. As a matter of fact, when life gets difficult and the challenges come your way, I want to make sure my faith is rooted and grounded steadfast and that I'm feeding my roots, and that I'm growing in the faith, and that fruit is coming out. There's more love. That I'm I'm not as much like I used to be when I got saved. I'm instead more like my heavenly father in heaven, and I'm becoming more like him, even in the midst of trials. Paul's going to segue, and he's going to change direction in verse 24. He's going to talk about suffering. He's going to talk about when it gets hard, when the tests come, does that fruit show up in your life? Are you indeed still producing that fruit? And I just want to encourage you guys and gals, if you're here, we're in the midst of a crazy time right now, are we not? It is downright crazy. What an awesome opportunity to be alive. If you're like me, you're going to heaven when you die. There's nothing that can stop you. On Tuesday, after Dan went to heaven, we had a staff meeting. And I was sitting there with my staff at the offices, and I was looking at each one of them, just thinking about death. It's not a bad thing to think about death. And I begin to look them all in the eye and realize that they're either gonna look at my dead body one day or I'm gonna look at their dead body one day. It's gonna happen. And that changes the way we live our lives. And I don't walk in fear. I walk in overcoming and power and victory. And this is what the world, the crazy, crazy upside down world that's looking for a mandate, looking for a vaccine, looking for a hero, looking for a savior. And Jesus Christ says, hey, the work of the cross is to believe in me. I've already done all this. I've already done all this. And so the church, you guys have such an opportunity to, like and give testimony in the midst of darkness and say, you know what? Jesus is real. Jesus is real. Jesus comforts me. Oh, your, your business shut down, you went bankrupt. And Jesus is real. Oh, your marriage didn't last. It didn't, didn't, it didn't go the way you, oh, Jesus is real. Oh, you, oh, things aren't going well. Oh, you tried and failed. Glad it's not about me. Jesus is real. Do you have that message for people? you have it for your sons, your daughters, your spouse? you have it for yourself? This is the message that the world needs. This is the message that heaven gives. This is the message that heaven, that Jesus provided for. Would you bow your heads and pray? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your son. And in Jesus' name, we ask, Lord, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that you would forgive us, Lord, our debts and help us to forgive those around us to walk in that powerful, magnanimous spirit. Make this church and the church, Lord, responsive to Jesus. You're the head. You're the ones who determine and dictate the temperature of the body, Lord. And I pray that we'd be hot. that We'd be on fire for you. That we'd go where you want us to go. We'd do what you want us to do. We'd say what you want us to say. We'd be who you want us to be. And if you want to surrender and submit to Jesus even more and you need his help, would you just raise up your hand right now, surrendering to Jesus today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, saying, yes, Lord, take me as I am. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Lead me and use me and guide me in this life and take me to be with you in the next life. I want my hope to be in the gospel, which I heard. I want my faith to be steadfast and immovable and grounded, Lord, Bless me and use me because it's all for you. It's all by you, the big things and the little things. Lord, my hand is up to. Would you anoint us and lead us? Would you guide us and direct us? Bless our family that are watching at home and the service that's coming in next. Bless our young people, Lord. Bless our not so young people. Bless us, Lord. Bless us in all these things for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Yeah. Amen and amen. God bless you. Guys.